gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Man, you crushed me, Lord. You've broken me, Lord. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones, and here it is again, you have broken, may rejoice. In verse 16 of the psalm, he says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Wow, David. Thank you, Lord, for inspiring David to pen these beautiful words about the beauty of brokenness. To me, Psalm 51 is arguably the most powerful description of what brokenness looks like, and even further, what brokenness does in our lives, what it accomplishes in our lives. I mean, when you get to the end of the psalm, and I would encourage you, by the way, in your own time in God's Word, to spend some time in this psalm. Towards the end of it, David just, I mean, it. if you look at everything that David writes in that psalm, it all came vis-a-vis brokenness. Brokenness. Here's the takeaway. God breaks us vis-a-vis a crushing trial and hardship to purify us from that sin that has taken up residence in our lives. And it's for our protection. He, he, he it doesn't start that way. It, it, there's that still small voice of the Lord. We'll be talking about that on Sunday in the prophecy update. But there's that, that still small voice of the Lord. And He always warns us ahead of time. Don't go anywhere near that. That'll, that'll destroy your life. That'll destroy your marriage. That'll destroy your family. That'll destroy your ministry. That'll destroy you. And it always starts off with a warning. But here's the thing. Things are going good. And we blow the Lord off. We shine Him on. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And we don't take it seriously because we kind of think like, well, you know, things are going really good. It must not be that big of a deal. I mean, look how God's blessing me. It's so interesting to me that when this happened, David was just kind of kicking back going, all right, it's all good. 
And during the time when kings would go to battle and go to war, not David. He's kicking back, enjoying the fruits of his labor. He's paid his dues. He's at the height of his blessed life. God has blessed him. He is the king of Israel. He lacks for nothing. And oh, by the way, Nathan reminds him of that speaking for the Lord. Is there anything, David, that I would have withheld from you? I have blessed you so abundantly. And so at the time that this happens, this is why I want to say it was about three weeks ago uh, in Isaiah. No, it wasn't Isaiah, it was James. I really need to take a couple weeks off because I don't even remember what it was. Pretty bad when you don't remember your own teaching. Prosperity is more dangerous than poverty. James, it was James. There. I feel better. <laughs> when James is talking about the rich should be humiliated and the poor should be uh, hold their head up in pride. Prosperity is very dangerous. You know why? Because when we're prospered and, and blessed, and God desires to prosper us and bless us, we kind of get lullabied into a complacency and, hey, it's the most dangerous time. We're the most vulnerable during those times. But adversity, oh, our guard's up. So is our prayer life. You know how it is when things are going good, your prayer life is like, you know, Lord, bless me, bless this, bless that, bless them in Jesus' name, amen. And then off you go. But boy, let adversity strike. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Oh, oh, now I got your attention, don't I? So here's this... Um, sin now that we need to deal with this. And I, and I tried to get your attention. I tried to warn you. And you just blew through all of those warning signs that I put up for you. And it seems like that you're just going to keep going in this direction. So I love you so much. I love you too much to let you continue because I love you and I don't, and I know this will destroy you. So I've got to break you and crush you. In Psalm 119, David said, verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. And then in verse 71 of Psalm 119, he says this, and I want you to listen very carefully. He says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. It's a good thing you did that, Lord. It's a good thing you afflicted me. It's a good thing you allowed that crushing trial, Lord. It's a good thing that you broke me, Lord, because had you not broken me, 
Then there's Proverbs 20.30. This is one of those Proverbs that if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, you read it and then you move on. Not so fast. Blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. Did you catch that? Sometimes we need that crushing blow. We need that breaking, that cleansing to take place. And that's the only way. Oh, it doesn't have to be that way. There's the easy way and the hard way. (laughs) Sometimes if the easy way doesn't work, then you have to learn the hard way. That brings us to our fourth one. This is a familiar one. God breaks us to conform us. This of course is Romans 8.28. But it's not just 8.28, it's 8.28 and 29. Because 29 fills in the blank of 28. 28, we all know it by heart. We know, know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. What's His purpose? Oh, I'm so glad you asked, because that's verse 29. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Okay. In other words, God's going to break me to make me more like Jesus. That's the purpose. He's conforming me into the image of Jesus Christ. Well, what was Jesus like? (laughs) Jesus was meek, humble, patient, kind, gentle gentle. You know, when there's a breaking, it makes us more compassionate, doesn't it? Unbroken people are very harsh, very mean. There's never been a a breaking in their lives. They remain unbroken. And God can't bless that. God can't use that. I think of that famous quote by A.W. Tozier. He says, I doubt very much that God can use a man greatly until he hurts that man deeply. Why does God have to do that? Because He's got to make me more Christ-like. And so here comes the crushing. Here comes the breaking. It's all part of the conforming. He's making us more like Jesus. And then lastly, God breaks us to remind us, enter the communion celebration and commemoration as a reminder of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. 
Let me uh, mention another psalm, this time Psalm 22. It's uh, affectionately referred to as a messianic psalm about Jesus, the Savior. And it's kind of uh, involved, I guess, for lack of a better word, because Jesus of Himself says, I am a worm and no man. What? What do you mean a worm? Well, in the Middle East, they have this particular worm that will affix itself to a tree when it's about to die. And so as it dies, it then creates this scarlet colored substance. And that is how it gives birth to the young. And when it does, that scarlet turns to white, white as snow. He's referring to himself as that worm. Now here's where I'm going with this. Like Christ, we want to be like Jesus, a worm and no man. Well, I think too many of us are like a snake. What do you mean? Well, if you step on a worm, you break it, right? You can crush it, smash it, break it. Try doing that with a snake. What does a snake do? Ooh, it hisses back, stiffens up, and bites. Jesus, like this worm, the Lamb of God, but a worm for man, was broken, willingly broken. I think the question should be asked and answered, and this is where we let the Holy Spirit search our own hearts. And again, I, as I shared at the beginning, I've I own every single one of these. I've tasted and drunk very deeply from the cups of all of these. <laughs> and that can still taste it, by the way. Those times where God has just had to break me because I'm such a strong-willed, I need Him to break me. I want Him to bless me, but I need Him to break me. Oh, would to God that we would be more like the worm and not the snake. How many times in my life have I hissed back like the snake and not been broken like the worm? Don't you find it interesting that the Lord would institute this ordinance in the celebration of the Passover, and in so doing that He would say to them, I want you to do this in remembrance of Me. As often as you do this, do this to remember, remember Me. What do you want us to remember, Lord? I want you to remember my body that was broken for you. 
as one so aptly said, we are broken into life. My body was broken, my blood was shed, so that you could have eternal life. It's a reminder, the ultimate breaking, the breaking of the Savior's body. Luke 22, beginning in verse 14, when the hour had come, He, speaking of Jesus, sat down and the twelve apostles with Him. Then He said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then He took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divided among yourselves, for I say to you, this is the second time now, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance, remembrance of me. It's a reminder of my brokenness. And you need to remember this. That's why we do this. We do this in remembrance of Him. If you'll take the packaging for those of you that are here and just open up the top part and take the bread and just hold on to it. You know, it's so easy, we're so prone, right, to make everything a formality, a ritual, just routine. But I hope tonight that it's different for us. Because we're going to partake of this bread, and in so doing, it is a symbol of His body that was broken like that worm. He didn't fight back in protest, didn't defend himself. Like a lamb, he went to the slaughter. Like a worm, he was broken for us, for us, for us. I pray that as we partake of the bread, that it will be a reminder of the beauty of brokenness. Would you partake with me? Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for brokenness, as hard as it is. Lord, thank you for your brokenness, your willingness to be broken for us. Lord, what we just did in partaking together of the bread, we did so in remembrance of your body broken for us. 
And Lord, I think as I pray this, I, I do so with the agreement of all of my brothers and sisters that are here tonight and even watching online. That we want that brokenness, because we want to be like You. Lord, forgive us for stiff-necked stubbornness and obstinance. Forgive us for the, the hardness and the unwillingness to be broken. We remain hard and, oh, we pay a heavy price. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your body broken for us. Luke goes on to write, Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. If you'll take the remainder of the packaging again for those that are here, and just hold on to it for a moment. By the way, when we partake of this, the bread, His body broken, not His bones, His skin was broken. It, no bones could be broken. That would then disqualify Jesus as the fulfillment of the Passover prophecy, because the Passover lamb could have no bones broken. No, His body was broken. Why? So His blood could be shed. His body was broken. The skin was broken, so the blood could be shed because there's no forgiveness or remission of sin without the shedding of blood. But in order for the blood to be shed, the body had to be broken first. That's the symbol that we hold in our hands. Again, brokenness. His body broken, His blood shed. As we partake together, I hope and pray that we would do so not just in remembrance of Him, but it would be different tonight that we partake as a broken people, broken unto life. Would you partake with me? Thank you, Lord. Please stand, and then Capone, I'm going to have you come up. I, you know... I want to share with you something. I I don't do this very often. I, in fact, I don't remember the last time I did this. But I, I printed this out. I, I thought, Lord, if I'm to share this, then you need to, you need to prompt me to do it. And so, if you don't mind, I, I, want, I want to share this. It comes from A.W. Tozer again. you got to love A.W. Tozer. I have a love-hate relationship with A.W. Tozer. I mean... But he, uh, borrowing upon Hosea 10.12, which says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He comes and rains righteousness on you. Ah, listen to this. He says, the fallow field is smug, contented, 
protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. But it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it see the miracle of growth. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life, nor see the wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of ripening grain. Fruit it can never know, because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. In direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow, and the plow has come as plows always come. Practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised, and broken. But its rewards come hard upon its labors. The seed shoots up into the daylight. It's a miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, and consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered the ground. Nature's wonders follow the plow. Ooh. I got a fence around my field. Ain't no plow coming in to break up my fallow ground. That ground remains hard. But so too does it pay a heavy price. Unbrokenness is barrenness, isn't it? It's when you break it. Make it supple. The seed is able to plant and germinate and sprout and bear beautiful, delicious fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy, peace and gentleness and goodness and kindness and patience. Patience. <laughs> Meekness, goodness, self-control. By the way, that's a description of Jesus. We've got to let that plow in. And we've got to break up that hardness in our lives. Because God wants to do something so amazing. I love how He inspires the prophet to write it and say it. <laughs> if I told you what I wanted to do, you wouldn't believe it. You, you get, no way, way, way. Oh, I want to bless you. Would you please let me break you so I can? 
Stop fighting me. Stop hissing back at me. Let the plow in. Let it do its work. You'll see what I'm going to do. Let me break you. Father in heaven, thank you. Lord, I... As I stand here, as is my privilege to, having tasted from this cup of brokenness over the years, I I cannot thank you enough. I can't imagine, well, I, I don't know that I would even be standing here, as is my privilege to do, had you not broken me. Lord, I pray that you'll now take this to the next level in our lives. Because our flesh is going to fight you on this. But please, Lord, (laughs) break our strong will to your will. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name.